Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Just for Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. On today's episode, I have two guests, and they happen to be two of the nicest people in Hollywood. First up is MJ Rodriguez. The Pose star is getting all sorts of Emmy buzz for her work as Blanca on the show's third and final season. Find out what she has to tell me about life after Pose. Plus, she weighs in on Caitlyn Jenner's controversial remarks about the trans community. Then later, Jonathan Majors, who is also an Emmy favorite for HBO's Lovecraft Country. Of course, we also talk about reports he's joining the Ant-Man film franchise as villain Kang the Conqueror, and those rumors he's been cast in the third Creed movie to be directed by Michael B. Jordan. But before we get to today's show, we're going to take a short break. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Just for Variety. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. In the three seasons that Pose was on the air, MJ Rodriguez became a household name for her portrayal of house mother Blanca. Here, Rodriguez opens up about Blanca's legacy, life after Pose, she's going to be starring opposite Maya Rudolph in an upcoming sitcom, and how she feels about Caitlyn Jenner. I talked to Rodriguez from her home in New Jersey just days after the series finale aired on FX, and she debuted her new single, Something to Say, during her surprise performance at the Out Loud Music Fest in Los Angeles. How are you? I'm good. I'm hanging in there. You know, just got my little glam done. I have to get done up for you. You look gorgeous. You look gorgeous. Thank you, my How's life treating you? How's, how, how's it like getting on stage and performing for how many people the other night? Ooh, I think, well, I think it was, what, like 3,000, I think? Like 3,500. 3, like it felt good. It felt really good to get on stage again. I just, I've been waiting to get on stage and perform my own music for a while now. And finally, you know, it, it literally is a great ode to the song. I have something to say, because boy, is that a way to say something, just to go out mm-hmm. there and be on the stage. You know what I mean, Mark? So I'm ex- I was happy about it. And I'm happy people get to hear what I have to offer to the music industry. A lot of people haven't been hearing, you know, um, happy, driven, upbeat, love-infused music, you know, and right. funky, disco, R&B, pop music. And I feel like I have the space to do that. I hope, you know, the, the music industry accepts me in and, and mm. you know, helps me be ushered in because, you know, it's hard for girls like me, but I think it's, it's happening. I think it's happening, you know? What, how long were you working on the song? Was it a pandemic thing that you really got into it or? Um, yeah, it was both. It was, mm-hmm. we had started the song in the, the like the middle of season two. So mm-hmm. we've been working on it for about two years. Wow. Yeah, we've been working on it for about two years, the song itself, only because Corona had happened afterwards. We had planned right. on releasing it sooner but corona had happened and it kind of stunned everything but um yet two years wow Mm -hmm. so in the two years did what you have to say change a lot (laughs) 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 yes 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 and yes i I think it was an add-on to all the other things i wanted to say i'm just like oh okay so we, we got injustice happening already before with the trans community, but then when Rona came, we had that to talk about. And, um, you know, the injustices and obviously with Black Lives Matter and people, you know, people of color 
dying because of their skin complexion. I just was like, oh, this is definitely something to talk about. Talk about. I definitely have something to say. I'm with every. I'm with. I'm within every single last intersection of those communities. I'm black, yeah. Latina, and I'm trans, and I'm a woman. Those are extreme intersectionalities. So why not say something about it? And your girl is here, and she wants to just spread the news. It's. I feel like it's a message, and I gotta, you know, do my do my little um um my little mission is what they would say. <laughs> so let's talk about pose. Obviously, you know, yeah. and I. I've told this to you and I've told this to a lot of people actually, mm-hmm. you know, when I was at the premiere, I was emotional because one, for what the show is, mm-hmm. two, I started Variety right when Pose started. You were yep, my first you event I ever went to and talked to someone <laughs> as Variety. What do you want the legacy of Blanca to be? What's her legacy? I just want the legacy of Blanca to be strength um knowing that it's capable knowing that she and any trans woman is capable of living a very fruitful life after the labor that she's put in also mm-hmm. being a resilient woman and a woman who just so happens to be trans and got to actually have a happy ending like it happens it may not happen as often but i feel like that's the legacy of the work pose with all of the trans women of the show especially Blanca, because she's worked so hard she worked with her kids she she fought for her kids and now she's receiving all the, the gifts of what she put into her kids and then some because of the work she put into herself. And I want that legacy to be a lasting one for all um, trans individuals, people of color, and just people who are, you know, the underdogs. I want that to be the lasting legacy mm. that they can come out of anything if they work hard and just live for them and do it the right way, do it through love and do it through family. What was the most challenging part of playing Blanca? I think the most challenging part of playing Blanca was the very hard, dramatic uh, uh, scenes that I had to really delve into. They were real. They weren't anything that was fantasized. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I had never lived that before. So me having to do the research and draw that up, it just created emotions within me that I had already known about but also that I had never experienced. So it made it even more of an emotional uh, trip for me. And, um, you know, I hope I did a good job in expressing that and, and doing that through Blanca. But I think those were very trying because there were times where I had to really work hard not to bring Blanca home. I had to make sure that she was separate from Michaela J. I couldn't just, you know, keep her bottled up in me while I went home because I had a family to go back to. Mm-hmm. And it's a totally different family from Blanca's family. Not only is it a different family, it's a different period. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to bring the pain of the period back to my house because there's so many people in my house that went through that. Um, but that was the hardest part for me, really shaking the trauma and the pain that she went through as a Latina trans woman mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s also dealing with HIV and AIDS. It was a lot of, it was really emotional. How, how did you not bring it home? How did you sort of compartmentalize, I guess? I just made sure when, when I woke up in the, it was definitely a morning thing. By the end of the night, I was able to really release her, but I had to set myself up. I had to like 
really tell myself, okay, the moment you walk in there, this is the work that you have to deliver and be the best for it as far as Blanca goes. But when you leave here, Michaela, you have got to leave her here because if you take her with you, it can affect, as I'm sure with many actors, it can affect your personal life and you just don't want that. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, she did come home with me sometimes, you know? Right. There were uplifting moments that Blanca gave that I was just like, I'm taking this piece of <laughs> You know, the writings on the page with Mr. Stephen Canals and Janet and Ryan and everyone who was a part of the team, what they created was beautiful. But the more in-depth scenes, the more in-depth work, I had to make sure I left that home. So I would just make sure I made a track mark down for myself. I'd write it down and say, MJ, you have to do this for you. Now let's talk about Michaela J versus MJ. Yes. When do we use Michaela J? When do we use MJ? And um, are there differences? There are, there are extreme differences and there are a lot of similarities. Um, I, I love Michaela J. MJ is my nickname. You know, I've been called MJ all of my life. A lot of people haven't really known my full name, which is Michaela Antonia J. Rodriguez. And um, I wanted to create a space where people can find and learn about the girl who's inside or outside of MJ. I've been saying outside before, but I, I guess I can say inside because right. on the inside. But um, people who can find out the girl inside of MJ and get to know her a little better, get to know her separated from Blanca and see what she's capable of. and also see her artistry, see the girl who's been pushing hard to really um, convey her dreams through her music and mm -hmm. just change hearts and minds through that. Uh, and MJ is the girl who's very, you know, pulled together, uh, classy. <laughs> she keeps it together for the acting realm. That's what, I feel like that's just what I have to give. That's in me, it's been in me for years. And um, But that's the other side of me. That's the more, um, I don't know. I don't know the word to say, but I feel like she's the girl for for acting, and Michaela J is the girl for every single day. You know, okay. uh, uh, walking walks of life, especially music. Okay, let's talk about the Pose FYC event. Yes. Uh, Elton John changes his vacation plans. I know. I gagged, Mark. I gagged. I hope you did. <laughs> I did. I was just like, oh my God, the king has come into the building. Like, mm -hmm. the and queen. the way. Or more the queen. Period. Exactly. <laughs> I was here. Exactly. No shade. But like, this royalty came pumping through. Yeah. And not only was I happy that someone of that stature coming through to, to support us, but the words that were conve conveyed from, you know, Elton John's mouth were the things that made me so safe and felt comfortable and him vouching for us and, you know, fighting for us. It was a dream to have him there. And I mean, he, I can't believe it. I, you know, I got kisses on my cheeks and on my lips. And I was like, yes, baby, like this, this is royalty. Like, I, I can't believe this is happening. Um, but it was, it was, it was beautiful. And I remember Elton saying, you're going to keep in contact with me, right? You're gonna, and I was like, yes, yes, I am, I am. You're like, um, I'm performing in a couple of nights. I could get, I could get you backstage passes. You know what's so funny? I think my boyfriend or my mom, they were backstage and they mentioned it. He was like, I got something to do with Stevie Wonder tonight and I got a couple of things I'm working on, but I'll try or something like that. I was like, that's fine, you're royalty. Do what you gotta do. 
<laughs> what what other celeb interactions have you had that sort of just have blown your mind? Um, well, I will say Verdine. Verdine White was one of the another one of the royal kind of like experiences I had mm. because he's been in the music industry for years, obviously, and Ryan Murphy when I saw him at the table, but we can talk about him right after this. But um, when I met Verdine, when he told me that he wanted to work with me and I'm like, well, you want to work with me? I want to work with you. Right. You're an icon in the music industry. You've written, you have a catalog, like a real catalog of music. People love what you, your brother and the band have done. Like, and the fact that you say you want to work with me, that's crazy. That's insane. You know, so I kind of flipped. I had a very big fan girl moment. Mm. And um, it easily subsided after time went on. We became family and I just, I love him. Like mm. him and the team that I'm with, they are great. They're really right. great. They're really good. Um, and the same thing goes for Ryan Murphy. Like I saw him in the room when I went into my first audition. I was like, oh my God, I was just on the phone with him. I, he just <laughs> called me and asked me, what are you doing? And now I'm looking at him right in his face. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think Pose has done for trans people behind and in front of the camera? You know, I think what Pose has done for trans people behind the camera is give them more space and give them more opportunities and working behind the scenes and mm. letting them understand, letting us understand the lay of the land and how we work in it. Or if we've already known about it, at least giving us space to work you know, in that realm. And I would say in front of, in front of the cameras, it's exposure. It's an understanding of our lives and mm. it's getting our stories as true and, um, and as authentic as it can be for a long time, even five, not even a long time, excuse me, five years ago, our stories were not put mm. in mainstream at all. We were just, you know, small little, glitter that was speckled upon the screen. Now we're huge fireworks. You know, it's, mm. it's a, a beautiful showing of our lives in, in the best and most real way. And I think that's what's been happening as far as what Pose has done. And I'm so happy with it because now Pose has opened us up to even more opportunity. Right. What, what does Hollywood have to do more of? Where do they need to improve? I think Hollywood just has to constantly keep creating space for us. They have to make us feel comfortable um, as we will do the same. You know, this is a, a two-way street. It's not a one-way street, right? Like mm -hmm. we're humans. We have things that we have to abide to and understand and respect, but I think Hollywood has to do the same for us in order for us to work together and mm -hmm. for people to understand that awareness is key and making a message or broadening the scheme, making the scheme a bit broader for how our lives are and how we need to be represented on a television screen or, or anywhere. We yeah. have to be there to, to tell the story. Um, and once there's a good percentage of us in those planes, then there probably won't be so much discord when someone else is coming in our position because there's enough of us there. The, when you look at the anti-trans legislation that is just, you know, going on in state houses across the country, 
do you think that's part of a reaction? People are scared. Like, look, here's your visibility. Here we are. We're not, you're not making any apologies. I do, I do that think that is a reaction yeah. to what has been surging and what has been becoming a huge educational tutorial to our lives. I think right. with education on our lives, there's fight back for people not to, to know, or they don't want them to know. They don't want the younger generations to understand themselves. They want to put them back into this space of going to conversion therapy or second guessing who they are. When in reality, people are who they are from birth, you know? Um, but I do see hope and I do see change. And I do see that a lot of those legislations are having a strong battle and getting it passed and mm -hmm. yeah, you damn right, excuse my language. Yeah, it should happen that way. Uh, no discrimination be, should be put on any kind of human being. So how I feel about that, I'm disappointed, but um, I still see hope and I still see a beautiful group of individuals, trans, cis alike, LGBTQAI, POC, any person on this earth mm. alike that are fighting for the rights of just the human existence. So yeah, and I'm, at the front lines of that too. And what do you say to someone like Caitlyn Jenner, who people were surprised, but I don't know if they were really that surprised of her, you know, saying things that are considered anti-trans and she's an, a trans woman. You know, I just, it's unfortunate that she's one of our sisters saying these things, but with that, I love her from a distance. I don't want to spew any hate on her because she is human, but I do think there needs to probably be a learning curve or somebody constantly may need to have the conversations with her. But I think that's something that she probably has to deal with. I think she'll figure it out on her own when there's a depletion of the community that probably just doesn't want to deal with her. And that's unfortunate because I would never want that, you know, right. but it happens when you have your opinions about things, you know, mm -hmm. such as life. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not as excited about what she said, but that doesn't take my love away from her as a human and mm. what she could learn from. Cause I do think that we're all capable of learning. Now let's talk about learning from someone like Maya Rudolph. Oh, hey, I'm down for that. <laughs> uh, you're starring in a show opposite Maya Rudolph. Rudolph, I know. I'm kind of gagging at it. I'm so excited. I love Maya. Mm -hmm. She's she's hilarious as all hell. She's so witty and she's so intelligent and smart at the same time. And I'm just happy we get to play opposite of, opposite of each other and play off of each other in total mm -hmm. different characters, you know? And she's playing Molly, this you know, rich, wealthy woman. And I'm playing this girl who's worked her way up in the in the position that I'm in. And this beautiful, amazing rich woman comes in who owns half of the business. <laughs> Sophia's like, who is this? And I have to abide by her? Okay, great. All right. You know, like, but I think that's so awesome. I think it's amazing that they get to do that. I feel like, I feel like the people need to see that. And also I feel like versatility needs to be seen from, from me. I haven't gotten a chance mm -hmm. to do something different and people see that I'm capable of that. So I want to show them. So how, how did it happen? Like you said, you, listen, we really know you as a dramatic actress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did they come to you or do you have, or do your people have to say to them like, listen, we're telling you she could do this. 
Give you it know, a you know, Mark, I'm not gonna lie. I haven't really had the inner workings of what goes on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, I have spoken to Maya. I've spoken to the writers and everything, and. It was great rapport when we were speaking together, but I don't know the behind the scenes. I just knew that we, I knew that I was a great fit for it. Um, and hopefully, you know, well, actually they did. And I'm very happy with that. But <laughs> I was just hoping that I was a great fit for it. And I was great for the part, you know, and that they saw that I was capable of the part from the auditions that I've done. But um, yeah, I don't know about that. And I kind of live that I don't know about it. I like to know, because I feel like if I did, I probably would freak myself out. (laughs) So now a fun question for you. I usually phrase it as, tell me about your worst audition, but then I say your most memorable audition. Something that just didn't go the way you wanted it to go and you thought it was gonna go better. Oh yeah, I thought that I had, okay. So Billy will probably crack up at this. I went in uh, for Kinky Boots for one of the angels. And Mm -hmm. um, that was my space to really let people see who I was even more as the trans, strong, Latina, Afro-Latina woman I was. Um, But there were also notes that had to go along with this package that I wanted to do. And I went into that room and there's a song called um, In This Corner and I didn't sing it like that. It cracked horrendously. Uh-oh. And the guys behind the table like were like, yeah. But I laughed too, because I was like, honey, that was that was tragic. You know, I couldn't even, I couldn't even help but laugh because it was a tragic crack, honey. What what, what what happened that you cracked like that? I don't know. The note must have been too high. I must have, you know, my voice must have been, I don't know what happened, Mark, but. I flubbed that thing. And I, I remember walking out of that audition and going, well, I won't be getting that for a while. Let me do something. <laughs> now, when something like that happens, do you say, can I do it again? No, I don't. I mean, I always leave it up to them to see, you know, say, they usually tell me, all right, well, let's try something else, MJ. You know, let's right. see what else you're capable of. And I respect that, you know, just so that they can see the versatility. But honey, you know, they're looking at that. They're like, well, we wanted her to hit this note. So, Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully she can know this next song that she has. So she got a little hope. Now, did you ever tell Billy the story? No, I never told Billy that story. <laughs> he would crack up though. He would crack up if I told him. Um, and then uh, another fun question for you, because we're at Variety, we're celebrating the reopening of New York and the reopening of Los Angeles. What's one of your favorite restaurants in New York to dine, to dine in at, not get takeout? When you go to this restaurant, you love dining there. Cafeteria, 100%. Yeah. I can't believe that place is still around. Yeah, child, listen, the cafeteria is the place to go. All of the children go there. Everyone goes there and the food is immaculate. It's just so good. But it's just the community, you know, you know much. You know I, mean, I, I went to the opening. You went to, I went opening, to the opening, I, MJ. Okay, I'm kind of jelly. That you went to the open. I wish I was at the open. I know it was sitting too. That place is just like that. I mean, every time I'm I'm in New York now, but every time I go past, I'm like, it's it's still there. Still going. It's still going, even through the mists of a pandemic. 
they're still yeah. pumping. Either that or Elmo. I don't know if you've heard of Elmo. Elmo! Oh. I, I, listen, she's been, she's-, she's girl, I, girl, I remember when Elmo was first just the restaurant of Barracuda. Uh-huh. Remember, uh, started oh, by so the, oh I know. I, I lived down the block from Barracuda when I lived in Chelsea. Barracuda was the, Barracuda was a hot, like a hot place to go. Oh my God. And I mean, I literally lived down the block. So it's like, either I was Wait, going- gonna, I'm sorry. I'm like, we have about to have a whole conversation right now. <laughs> this was, this was, I was back. I've been in LA now 17 years. So oh, word, two word, years ago, word. like when it first opened and Barracuda, either I'd go in to get drunk before I was sober or coming home and I was mm-hmm. really drunk. Barracuda was the last stop on the block if you were- Yeah, you wanted to like, a little drink. Another drink. Yeah, you wanted <laughs> a little vodka tonic, honey, you know? <laughs> yeah, all the Candace Kane shows and- <sighs> That was, I think I watched Peppermint do a show at Barracuda. Barracuda's tight, it's small up in Barracuda. Oh my God, it's like, Yeah. Peppermint did a show there and Honey, it, Candace Kane was there. Mila Jam was there. I don't know if you've heard of Mila Jam's music artist. Mm-hmm. Those are all my sisters. And the times when everybody was able to go out, this was like two or three years ago. Those moments for me, because I was like a little, I was a little youngin. You know what I mean? Right. And my sisters brought me into my culture to, mm-hmm. you know, seeing what what the LGBTQAI plus culture looks like and how we love on each other and how we uplift each other through shows like drag performances and everything. And right. Honey Barracuda was the place for the, the drag queens and the girls, the show girls. Yeah. Like that was the place where the girls performed and just lived. Candace King was there. She started there, didn't she? She started there. Oh, no. and then, I re- then I remember going to see Candace at a place uh-huh. on, I want to, I think it was like Sixth Avenue. It was like a restaurant. It wasn't a gay bar. It wasn't even, a, I don't even think it was like a gay restaurant. You know, it was just a regular restaurant. Just regular. Regular. And she would do, she would do this thing, how she did it. She would time it where in the her middle of her act, she would leave the restaurant and do like cartwheels on 6th Avenue, stop a cab, go around the block and come back right on cue for the song. See, that's what you call a performer, honey. Yeah. That's what you call a performer. <laughs> Goals. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Goals. I know. I'm, sometimes I miss those days. Now I'm just an old guy who's married and we don't go to bars. We, we stay oh, home. Well, there's nothing days. wrong with that, too. Listen, I live my cute little life in my home. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little humble. I'm, I'm a homebody. When I need to perform and I work, I love, I love what I do. So I'm always you. Do you have a, especially when you went on stage the other night um, at Out Loud, do you have a ritual that gets you pumping, that gets you into that space? I mean, I have to say, there is always an influx of anxiety. Most of it is positive anxiety, like positive Mm -hmm. nerves um, three days before. And then the day of, there's a calm that comes over me. I guess it's my body being like, it's about to happen, girl. So I'm just ready, readying you. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm letting you do what you have to do. And then when I get out on that stage, excuse me, um, it's just I I feel like I explode. I don't know how to explain it, Mark. I just love it. I love getting there and I love just I love seeing people happy. I love seeing them 
move and the 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 plus to it all is that they're listening to, to my music but yeah. if i was performing to another song obviously i would love that if i was but like the fact that they're loving on me and what i'm invoking from the i'm invoking and what they're being what's being invoked from them and that it's that it's you know that there's a song about love and about standing out and about just being who you are and realizing that we are more in common than anyone can ever realize. The fact that and all of that is resonating within me, it's just like a firecracker and a firework mm. that just bursts on stage and I just love it. And I love seeing people smile. I do, it makes me so do, happy. Do you have, um, for me, obviously I'm not a performer like you, mm -hmm. but for me, you know, if I go on a big red carpet, let's say I go like award season, right? I'm totally mm -hmm. on all the time, on the carpets, on the carpets, on the carpet. Right mm -hmm. after award season, it's literally like, it's almost a depression. Really? You know, like I crash. Oh yeah. No. Oh my God. Because the endorphins are just not going as they've been going for, you know, whatever months. Do you have a crash after? I would say, I would say when it's when it's like when it's heavy heavy work like pose if it's right. really if it's on a set and there's emotions and character building mm -hmm. like in, in that way then yes it's a complete crash because I've invested most of my body to just be the vessel for this character that I've created but when it's right. music when it's performing I don't have a crash I will, I, I just don't and it would I guess it would have to be worked out of me for me to have a right. crash but. I'm still on a high after I get off the stage. I'm still, I wanna get back on and do more. I wanna, I wanna show people even more of me and give them, you know, mm -hmm. what they've been wanting. Cause honey, you know, they want a performance. They want a girl to give you what she needs and also do it while she's singing her song. I, I wanna give them that, they deserve that, you know? And especially with, with COVID-19, when we've been, we haven't had any chance to go to right a live performance or any of that. Now people are finally like, I can get out. Things are being lifted. And if I can be at the forefront of lifting them up even more, giving them the energy, mm -hmm. I have a lot of it. So- Yeah, I went to, uh, last night I went to the In the Heights premiere. They did it up in oh, Washington geez. Heights. And the carpet was like alive. It yes. was outside, no mask. People were hugging and kissing and shaking hands. And there was definitely a moment, a couple of times where I was like, whoa. <laughs> I know. A lot. But it just, because there's, you know, there's a part of, listen, I'm vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me, I'm like, we just got to go on living now. Yeah, we do. We do. And I think we're at that point now. I feel like everyone is finally stepping out of their shell again. You know, and they're not afraid anymore. We're just... right. We're being who we knew we always were, and we've gotten out of a quote-unquote funk for a year, quote-unquote lost year. We're out of that now. You know, we're in a good space where we have our minds together and we want to live again. You do. And the next time I talk to you, I want to do it in person. Yes, please. I'm down. <laughs> I'm down with it. I'm here for it. That was MJ Rodriguez. We'll be back after this short break. Welcome back. Jonathan Majors is hot right now, like really hot. Not only is he getting Emmy chatter for his role as Atticus in HBO's Lovecraft Country, but Marvel recently announced he's joined the cast of the third Ant-Man movie. Rumor is he's playing villain Kang the Conqueror. 
And earlier this month, it was reported that Majors nabbed a top billing role in the third Creed movie to be directed by Michael B. Jordan. Majors and I caught up from New York City where he had just come from a boxing session. We talked fatherhood, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, seeing a Rocky movie for the first time, and his work as a cowboy in the upcoming Jay-Z produced Western, The Hotter They Fall. Hello. Let's just pause for a second. Let's just, let's, let me just say it right now before go we go any further. I saw the nails. <laughs> Wicked. I saw them. What do, you, what do you mean? Oh, nothing. Oh, nothing. Yeah, beautiful, I, man. What now? <laughs> what now? Bravo. Bravo. It's so fun. Everyone is obsessed with this color. It's, it's, it's so, it's so vibrant. Yeah. So vibrant. You know what? You got to have some fun. And I'm a lifelong nail biter and it keeps me from not biting my nails. There you go. You know, and they tell people that they look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, you know what? I'll admit it. Something that works. Whatever works. Exactly. How are you? Oh man, I'm so good. I just got back from, um, I'll let you like in a park boxing. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, now I got in the car, rushed out. I don't live in Los Angeles. I don't stay here much. So like, uh-huh. it still amazes me how you have to have like 15 minutes to 20 minutes on either side of you trying to go someplace. Yeah, and you I call it home. right, what's happening right now is I call it vaccination traffic. Oh yeah. Everyone's, everyone's getting vaccinated. All of a yeah. sudden, I'm in New York yeah. right now, but I'm usually in LA and all of a sudden there's traffic again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, are you from, New York? I'm originally from New York. I grew up in Queens. I heard I it. In, yeah. Stephen, you, the nail, the nail, the <laughs> brother was gone. I heard, I heard all that. I heard all the news. <laughs> um, but I moved to LA like 17 years ago. Yeah. Um, but New York right now, like yesterday, traffic was insane. Which is great, though, right? Yeah, feels good a little listen, bit. It's you know, it's as as a native New Yorker, seeing New York in the state that it's in, and seeing so many places boarded up, it yeah. makes me so sad. It makes yeah. me really, really sad. Yeah. Um, but little by little, last night there was they had their first big major movie premiere in the Heights. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you see it? Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's a perfect. Yeah. Perfect summer movie. Like you walk yeah. out of it, you can't not be happy. Yeah, I watched if, it uh, maybe two weeks ago on one of those, you know, Blueprint. You know, yeah. like please watch it. Yeah, it was dope. Yeah, so. it's. I say to everyone, I'm like, if you walk away from that movie not smiling, then you need some. You go to the doctor. <laughs> you should leave the movies and go right to a therapist. Right. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about therapy. Did you need therapy after doing Lovecraft? That's intense. Man, Atticus and the whole family and, and, and Lovecraft, it was therapy in a, in a way. Yeah. It was very therapeutic, very cathartic. Uh, so many moments in it um, that mirror my real life, that mirror, I mean, chiefly, wow. I think right now I'm thinking when Atticus, I find that I'm to have a son, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm to name him George. Uh, after coming back from the portal. And I say that to my father, uh, Montrose, uh, played by the wonderful uh, Michael K. Williams. Peace be upon him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that for me was, was you know, talk about therapy, it was quite therapeutic because that was a conversation I had to have with my uh, 
that, that was a conversation I couldn't actually have with my biological father uh, just because of the mm. nature of our relationship. Um, mm. and, and I failed at having that conversation with my father in real life. Uh, mm. I at least not, not failed, but it, no, I, it's okay to fail. I, I didn't do it. I didn't get it all the way out. And there was a moment, um, you know, I'm sitting on the couch and I remember looking over at Mike. Um, and he actually sent me Father's Song, I believe that's the name of it. It's Prince. Mm. He, was, he was listening to that and uh, he sent it to me between setups. And there's a line where Atticus goes, uh, what do I do? You know, mm. this is Atticus. This is, and this is episode, let's say, it's the back, it's the back four for sure. Right. So we've got Atticus, like he knows what he's doing. He's, he's strong, he's smart, he's gonna figure it out. But he turns to his father and he goes, you know, what do I do? You know, and that's something I couldn't do. Um, I wasn't brave enough to do in my real life, um, mm. but then got to experience, you know, uh, with Atticus, um, mm. multiple things, multiple things, but chiefly wow. that moment I remember. That's that's therapy, man. If something you, know what you mean? think about your real life parental relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 the real thing. It was beautiful, you know, and his engine pushing his family forward, having to listen, having to cooperate, partner, all the things that are, you know, I think I started the pilot when I was twenty. 28 or 29 years old, shit, maybe 27. Mm -hmm. I'm only 31 now. You know how it goes. So, yeah, I say my late 20s, definitely, you know, cooperation, listening. I mean, I'd gotten to where I'd gotten to and survived the places I survived from by literally listening to myself, you know, mm -hmm. and doing what I needed to do, you know, right. and, and stepping off the path, you know, to become you know, what I, what I wanted to be for myself. But I find out very quickly, you know, with my child, with, uh, with, my, with my friends, proper friends and proper family, that that cooperation uh, muscle is a big thing, you know, a big thing, you know. And, it did, and I also found out there's a difference in cooperation and compromise, you know. Mm. Um, mm. And, I, and I want to, comp I want to uh, cooperate co-operate I mean, we're both getting busy you know yeah. Um, yeah how do how do you make sure that the relationship you have with your daughter that yeah. she won't have this conversation if you're saying i was too scared to go to my dad about something oh man i stick with her i stick with it you know i was um i was to do a i mean just just a slice of life i was to do a film um film here in Los Angeles. That is my delivery uh, for food, but I, hopefully they only ring once. If they only ring once, that is a beautiful omen, right? Um, <laughs> but if they keep banging the house down, they can finish. Uh, but uh, no, I was, I was to do a film here and I, um, my daughter was involved in some capacity and, uh, uh, but ultimately I, I left the project. Right, or the project left me. Like we, the project just kind of dissolved. And my and my my kid, um, she was so excited to do it, and she had earned the role. Um, mm. And uh, and my she was to, she was going to be in the film, and I kind of was nudged into letting her do the film uh, 
my, my mentor and friend, Spike Lee. Um, mm. And he was like, yo, she's got to do it. She's got to do it. Like, okay, cool. So we were all excited to do it. Uh, but it dissolved. Um, and I had to talk to her, you know, via FaceTime and say, hey, you know, baby, this is what happened. And this, that, and the other. And she's like, oh, okay, daddy. You know, as she does, my little lioness. And, um, <laughs> but she's mine, you know, and I can look at her and I can tell, you know, what's right. what. And I said to her, you know, well, how do you feel about it? I'm fine. I said, okay. Uh, but her father being her father, me being who I am, you know, I was looking at it and my heart was breaking. And I mm. I began to say, you know, well, daddy's really upset about this, you know, and I'm really angry about this. Um, and I'm sad, you know, that we won't be able to do it. And I'm disappointed. And I, and I feel some shame for, you know, <laughs> wrangling you into this. And I began to weep. And she said, oh, it's okay, daddy. I love you. I said, okay, uh, you just, you know, you, you always tell your daddy how you feel. Um, and I hung up. And her mother calls me back and says, Ella wants to talk to you. And I get on the phone with Lala and she's got these red eyes and she's like, daddy, I'm angry. I'm so sad. <laughs> and I go, okay, yeah. Well, what else? You know, and she begins to unload and tell me and tell me and if she can do that, you know, we just keep that practice going that, you know, you always tell your dad how you feel. You know, you always you can always ask me. You know, if I don't have the answer, I'll figure it out. And um, mm. it's just little moments like that. You know, so um, important. Ugh. You know, starts a muscle memory. Starts a it's a different bond. You know, as, yeah. as your child grows, as anything grows, they they're organic. You know, and how you old judge how me. old is she? She's eight years old. Wow. Yeah. That's but tough. yeah, that's how that's how that's how hopefully you know. That's the way you that's do it. That. Yeah, that's the sense of the father, isn't it? You know, yeah. if I weren't to do it, that would be the, the sense of the father repeating themselves, which is everybody's biggest fear, you know, to repeat yeah. something that has happened to you or has happened to your people or your tribe. Right. You know, if you come from alcoholism, if you come from liars, if you come from broken homes, you don't want to repeat that. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. So tell me about, and I'm always fascinated by these stories. How was Lovecraft pitched to you? What was that pitch? Because this is obviously something that hasn't been done. It's something different. How did they say, okay, this is what's going to happen. And there's another world and there's CGI. And Holy smokes. How was that pitched to me? <laughs> um, truth be told, I mean... I wonder if I still have the uh, the email. I'm sure. I'm mm -hmm. sure I do. Unfortunately, yeah. nothing goes away. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But no. I mean, it's funny because I was told about this project by two separate people. One was uh, my representative, mm -hmm. uh, and he told me. And then another was uh, actually Yan Demange, uh, Demange, mm -hmm. uh, the guy who did uh, uh, White Boy Rick. I, mm -hmm. I got to be in that picture with him. Yep. And uh, it's actually my workout buddy for a while. Um, <laughs> and he mentioned it to me and he, he, he told me there's no way I was going to get it because uh, there's a couple of guys involved. Um, and I was like, <laughs> cool. And I was like, I was literally right out of drama school, kind of, sort of, you know. Um, but I think the way it was presented was very cool um, family drama. Um, follows this man um alex freeman um and he moves to supernatural world something 
something like that. And and don't get me the line, man. That that may not be it. It may have been like <laughs> audition, boy. You know what I mean? It may have been like that. You know, um, because I was getting it from, from some from so many different avenues. I was getting it, you right. know, from the street, from my from Palomar, and I was also getting it from like my you know, rep. Um, right. And and it kind of sneaks up on you, you know. Like if you just read the first, I mean, the, the pilot itself, like. If you took it, if you take out what I call the overture, right, the beginning, mm -hmm. it's really just a family drama until about, yeah. I mean, it kind of all goes down in the third act. It goes, mm -hmm. you know, in the third act. Oh, no. One of the one of the big components of the uh, quote unquote pitch was uh, Jim Crow America. That was really the mm -hmm. that was really the thing that this that this man and his family are moving through Jim Crow America, dealing with ghosts and gals, and monsters, etc. Right. That. That does sound like the, the one line. That does sound like, <laughs> right, like right. Uh, but but that did not prepare me for you know what it was to be, you know. Mm. Um, I remember I was reading the I was reading episodes and um, I was in Thailand at the time and I was getting all these episodes and my mind was blown. It was blown. I was like, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. I'm texting Misha Green. I mean the, the time zone is completely thoughts uh, right. <laughs> but but and but i'm hitting her and she's hitting me back you know she's right she's riding out right. right you know um i'm like this is incredible this is incredible mm. this is incredible oh my goodness you know the, the amount of gratitude that that i felt just reading those scripts and seeing those stories and watching Atticus change on the page and then being blessed enough to to you know embody that um mm. yeah wicked man wicked <laughs> um you, you you said that you know in many ways Attic you are very similar to Atticus. Mm. Was there anything challenging about him that sort of got you stuck? That you know this is this is hard to walk through or work through. Well, here's the thing. Um, here's a thing. In life, you kind of get to, in some ways, turn it off. Mm -hmm. You know, in some ways, watercolor, right? As the samurai would after battle. Mm -hmm. That's what we could do in, in life, our day to day. You know, uh, but Atticus, there was no, he was a, he was a soldier archetype. He had that archetype. So all he knew was the war, right? right. There are similarities between us, but my internal conflict is not one of knowing my end, you know, mm -hmm. or fighting against my my own morality uh, and, and mortality, you know. Um, yes, I live in a very, very, very. Um, we all do, you know. We have different perspectives on it, but we live in a very uh, racially charged climate, you know, mm -hmm. here in America. Uh, but it is in some ways uh, veiled, veiled, excuse me, veiled. Uh, in Jim Crow America, it was not. Uh, right. And and he had to exist in that uh, at all times, 24 hours a day. You know, he'd mm -hmm. fall in love. And, I mean, I'm a gypsy. Like, I'm literally, me, Jonathan, I'm around, I'm by myself most of the time. I'm moving in and out. Right. I, I, I get to play these cool guys. I, you know, I'll run down home every now and then to see my mom, you know. But that isolation that I have kind of keeps me whole and and lets me allows me to keep my keep my mind straight, 
you know, mm. that's very difficult to do when for Atticus, where he is always, always, always being done to, right? Mm -hmm. Always being mm -hmm. done to, and then having to react and then, and then love and then react and then mm -hmm. fight and then react and then save. And then to think about Atticus, here it was. This is where we're different, right? We have, you're, you're, you're Atticus, right? Like we all have, we all have these similarities, but the spine of Atticus in the film, right? In the story, in, in the series, is as, is, as, is as follow, and this is where the conflict comes in. Here is a man that wants to be safe, right? Mm -hmm. Here is also a man who wants others to be safe. Mm -hmm. Well, that's impossible. It's impossible, right? He is always in conflict, right? He is mm -hmm. always in conflict. I want to keep myself safe, but at the same time, I want to keep those I love safe. And everybody's under attack. It's impossible to stay in one place. That's not an experience I have in my day to day. You know, just the climate that I live in and, you know, the man that I am. So I wouldn't say it got me stuck, but I had to get busy mm. on that big time, you know, and always kind of keep that activated. Right. You know, Atticus is a man that doesn't sleep. You know, he doesn't sleep. He's afraid of sleeping. You know, mm. what is it to be haunted? I got, I got beefs. I got people I don't fuck with anymore. I got, I got all types of stuff in my in my quote unquote past, 31 years right. of living. But I have not been to war, you know, right. not properly, not properly, right. you know. But in some cases, I guess you don't really have to visit, you know, a, 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 a foreign country to to to, not, to understand that. But right. there is a certain amount of currency that does come from actually, you know, ex the physical exper experience of it. So mm -hmm. I'll conclude, but you feel me? So you just said you're a gypsy. You said you were boxing. Yeah, yeah. You said as Atticus, you're fighting all the time. You're doing this action stuff. So are you boxing for Ant-Man or are you boxing for Creed? <laughs> That's so deep. I'm boxing. Well, here's the thing. Acting, um, being an actor, right? Being an artist, it's a lifestyle. So you always mm -hmm. want to be ready for everything. <laughs> so none of the above and all of the above. <laughs> What and for physical, and for physical health, right? No, believe me, I know. I've been trying to lose the COVID weight. Um, you look so, fine. Thank you. So, <laughs> tell me, what could you tell me about Ant Man? You're just gonna say nothing, aren't you? I don't know if you know this, but uh, Paul Rudd will be the president against Robert Batman, um, and I believe uh, Marvel will be. Uh, I think they're gonna take a shot on this one. And Produce this one, so that's that's as much as I can, as much as I know. So let me ask you: are, Have you always been an Ant Man fan? You know, he's not the biggest superhero of the bunch. Unintended. Right. Um, no, it's funny, man. Um, I I have not. No, I wasn't. I was not. Um, the wonderful thing about just kind of like my my timeline for. Um, my education is mm -hmm. that I watched the Marvel films um, and to that end, the DC films kind of blow up. I watched mm -hmm. it happen. I watched yeah. it happen. Um, my, my aforementioned uh, father, right? I remember the last time we had like a real daddy Sunday. We went to go see, uh, I think it might have been Infinity War. 
I think it was. Mm-hmm. I was in college. Um, yeah, I was in college. It came up and we, we went to see it. Um, but no, I got to watch those movies in context. You know, I got mm-hmm. to, I, the funny thing is I actually never missed one either. It's just so culturally, um, so our culture is so steeped in it, you know, in mm-hmm. a way, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Like, if someone made a time capsule, they would go, yeah, the superhero movies. Right. But because I was watching these movies at a certain time in my training, I did watch and go, oh, I see what they're doing there. I see what it is. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, oh, they're Greek plays. Mm. The Marvel, the superhero genre, uh, but particularly Marvel, in my opinion, you know, I'm not, mm. I'm not one, of, I'm not a writer on it or anything. They're Greek, you mm. know, the size of them, the, the things they're dealing with, the idea of fate and fantasy and future and legacy and mm. all these things, etc. you know. Um, so, I, so I am a fan of, you know, the Sophocles, yeah, the Orstaya is one of my favorite, favorite pieces of writing, you know, mm. and I see, I see rhythms and rhymes um, correlating in the quote-unquote Marvel universe, so Ant-Man included, I, I see that. How much do you have to get in shape, though? Listen, in, in Lovecraft, yeah. I mean, your, your arms are like this. Mm. <laughs> those biceps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. But like, this is a whole other level crazy working out. I mean, I yeah. you see the shots of Chris Hemsworth and you're like, what is that guy doing? I got Chris Hemsworth. Uh, I never met the brothers, but uh, he's Thor. I mean, that's a part of it. <laughs> he, he, you know, you know, uh, I think he's got that. I think he's got that locked down. But no, just for me, it's just the given circumstances. Atticus was built that way because he did the thing he did. One of the things people might miss in Lovecraft uh, in regards to Atticus, and I mean, there's a million things going on, is that Atticus was a mechanic mm-hmm. in Florida. Now you have to understand, we don't really have hydraulic lifts at this point. And right. if you do, you don't have them, you know, at the type of mechanic shop I'm working at. Right. So Atticus right. was built that way, one, because he was a fighter and a warrior, but also because he was a fucking mechanic. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, right. At any moment, like you and I can step out of our door and wait for the UPS guy to walk up. We go, yep, there he is. You know what I mean? Like, right, that's, right, it's right. Just the given circumstances. So, uh, circumstances being what they are, uh, we'll see. We'll see how you know what the physicality is for this, and then, uh, you know we will we will we'll do our best as we as I always try to do. So, uh, Twitterverse and the internet has been going crazy, asking, "Is Kang the Conqueror going to be in Loki?" Is Kang the Conqueror going to be in Loki? I know you want to tell me, right? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then Creed, is Creed happening or you're not allowed to talk about that either? (laughs) Or you're not sure? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, Yeah, fingers crossed. You remember the first time you saw a Rocky movie? Yeah, so my uh, it was a VHS at our farm <laughs> in um, in Waco, Texas, with my grandpa. Wow. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. I also remember taking my um, my mentor group my first year or second year at Yale, mm-hmm. taking them to see either Creed, I think it was Creed, well, no, no, it was North Carolina, for North Carolina School of the Arts. And I was a, I was a four and I took the one, twos and threes to go see it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they blend together, but yeah, I remember seeing that, seeing that film and being very, uh, very happy to see that, that we had very much like Atticus, um, this version, you know, mm-hmm. this addition to the pantheon of, of boxing films, the pantheon of heroes, et cetera, you know, then you have another film. This one you can't talk about because you have shot it. So you can't tell me, tell me you can't. Jay-Z as a producer. Yeah. How yeah. wild. Yeah. So one. The harder they fall. One, did Jay-Z come to set? Mm-hmm. Two, Jay-Z. I mean, everything that guy touches turns to gold, no? Hear him say it, you know, or, or not even hear him say it. I would say platinum. <laughs> right, really? right. Um, uh, did Mr. Jay Z come to set? Um, uh, not to my knowledge, I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, straight up, not to my knowledge. You know, we were shooting that in the middle of the shit, man. Like it was on. I mean, I had, I had buckled down and stayed in in New Mexico um, all through the lockdown. Uh, wow. Took my lockdown there and and. Continued to prep the film alongside uh, my director, uh, James Sammy. Uh, he was there for a long while with me too before oh, having wow. returned to uh, London. Um, no, the movie, that film, you know, sight unseen. It, it's kind of like this. Like if if I've made it, you know, if I if 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 I have a if I if I made it, I kind of have a feeling, you know, how mm-hmm. it's gonna go. You know, mm-hmm. um, but this my feeling is over overwritten in many ways by the people who are involved, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, Jay Z, uh, James Lasseter, um, Lawrence Bender, mm-hmm. um, Brother Tendo of Netflix, um, uh, James Samuel as our director of the Bullets, um, and that's that's the that's the other guys. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. that's not even including like. The people on the field with me, right. you know what I mean? Idris Elba, Regina King, uh, Zazie Peace, Keith Stanfield. That's a, re- that's a really bad cast. I, you, I mean, I don't know, you're saying bad isn't like bad or bad. <laughs> pulling my leg. Uh, that's just yeah, like I mean, incredible. It, yo, it's the Avengers. You know what I mean? Like, we're like, woo, it's like, let's <laughs> go, you know? Um, and that was the, that was the thrust of the film. I mean, James Samuel's, James Samuel. Um, oh, where'd you go? I'm right here. James Samuel is a, uh, oh, did the recording stop? Are we good? No, no, you're good. Uh, James Samuel is a visionary. And right. listen, I look, I have no idea what the film's gonna, gonna, gonna do, but mm-hmm. I know, I know that the acting department did their damnness. <laughs> I know that the costume department did their damnness. I know that the directing department did their damnness. I know that the Wranglers, I love them more than more than oranges they did their they did their damnedest you know and then we have all these guys who help us you know make and craft a piece when it's all said and done you know right. uh, the producers and all those guys and then you've got you know 
actually James Sandwich is we have a Hulk. He's got Hulk, you know, uh, who, I mean, just his legacy, that this piece yeah. is a part of his legacy. And conversely, it, it's a part of my legacy and part of James's legacy, a part of everybody's existence. It's um it's event, it's event filmmaking, you know, mm-hmm. and um that's just on the surface. We haven't gotten into like the the heart and soul and tears and blood of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I broke my um I shattered my heel um How in the film. Uh you'll see. Uh uh, uh, and the cool part about it is, uh, my a heel, wait, a heel wait, fracture. Did you, like, wait, did you just joking. say the cool part of it? A cool part of a heel fracture? Well, the cool part of uh, the cool part of a heel fracture <laughs> is that, like, like you can't really do anything about it. It's just kind of like this is what it is. You know, it's funny. I actually limped on to uh, to, to to Savannah to start uh, this other film, Devotion, uh, and my buddy and director J.D. Dillard. You know. I, I said to him, hey, you know, I was limping when I first he's like, yeah, I, th- I thought that was a part of the character. I thought you just made a choice. And I was like, you know what? I love you for that. I love you for that. Uh, but devotion, another another fabulous divine piece, I think. But the harder they fall is, I mean, it's coming. I mean, I I, I, I usually don't watch, you know, um, mm-hmm. but I can't wait to feel it, if you, if you know what I mean. I can't wait to feel what it does for, for the people. You know, mm. I always say it's for the homies and like the harder they fall is for all the homies, you know, all the homies. I mean, you, me, your people, our people, the industry, right. overseas, it's for everybody. It's a Western, you know, it's a fucking Western, you know, yeah. um, and you get to meet Nat Love and you get mm-hmm. to meet Rufus Buck and you get to meet Stagecoach Mary and, and Cherokee Bill. Mm. You know, these are all the characters we play. You know, yep. there were Lindo and I are together again on it. Yeah, no, that's and, awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you put on a cowboy hat. You have chaps. How how cowboy are you? Uh, but it's pretty. It's pretty cowboy. No chaps, right? Because that's, that's mm-hmm. new. no chaps. Because I got to you know, just no chaps. No chaps. My <laughs> fella didn't wear chaps. Uh, but all the way in, all the way in. I love horses. I'm a horseman. Um, uh, my, my horse's name was Cinco. Cinco? Cinco, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's funny because uh, well, I'm just, we're just rambling here, but my buddy Jesse Clemens mm-hmm. on uh, on Hostiles, another text. And mm-hmm. Hostiles was just my first uh, feature ever. Um, he rode Cinco in that film. And then I, oh, got, wow. I, got, I got the ride Cinco in this one. Um, but I got the ride Cinco in this one. So... You know, stay tuned, man. I'm just excited as you are about it. I, I could talk about it. I mean, if you are excited, I'm just excited. No, I am. I mean, everything from the fractured heel to the full-on cowboy, the Cinco. I mean, it sounds like my kind of movie. It's beautiful. And the music. We haven't gotten to the music, but yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, this was great. I'm so glad we got to catch up. Oh, my friend. This was wonderful. Yeah, this was great. And I hope uh, the next time we do, we get to do it in person. I'd love that. We're getting there. We're getting there. Slowly but Slow and steady. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Awesome, sir. Have a good one. Yes, sir. Talk to you very soon. Stay safe. Thanks for your time. You got it. That was Jonathan Majors. 
Thanks for listening to this week's Just for Variety. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And of course, check out my weekly column, Just for Variety, in the magazine and online at Variety.com. See you soon. Thank you.